me. There you go. I forgot to turn me on. All right. Some of you didn't mind that I wasn't very loud. All right. If you would, take your Bibles. Your Bible's probably permanently ready to open at John chapter 6, but I pray that you would open it there again. John chapter 6, we pick up today in verse 30. If you're using that pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 1,228. 1,228, John chapter 6. And today we will stand and read in just a moment, verses 30 to 40. You know, Wednesday night, we canceled church due to the threat of dangerous weather. That afternoon, I sat in my office. And if you've been in my office, I have a couch, and that couch looks out the window to the parking lot, and there's a couple of trees that I can see. And I just sat there and looked out the window, and you could see that the wind was really blowing hard. That tree was bending in ways, and, and that's part of the reason because it was supposed to get worse as it went on through the day. As I sat there, I actually saw a bird fly into the window. Now, you know, that can happen every now and then, and I'm sure that the wind didn't have much to do with that bird being redirected and flying into the window. And then I went outside. I mean, it wasn't stormy. It was just breezy, but I went outside, and Uh, to check it out more directly, and the wind was really gusting. And if you were out, you could feel it and uh, feel it coming. Things were blowing everywhere with force. I mean, it was was a, a growing thing. And then I thought this. I said, you know, I cannot see the wind. You can't either. You can't see the wind. So I said, well, how do I know it's real? How do I know that that wind is real? People say it's windy. So how do I know that it's real? And I can see its impacts. I can hear it. I can feel it. And that was enough for me to believe in the wind. Do you know we each go through a process before we choose to believe in something? We all do. Or before we believe in someone. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to read from John chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 30 to 40. Let's read that together. John chapter 6, picking up in verse 30, reads as follows. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. 
And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Thank you. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. Last week, we left off in John chapter 6, verse 29, where Jesus, if you'll recall, had challenged the people that had come a great distance to hear him. These same people that had benefited from the feeding of the 5,000, and there were some scribes and Pharisees and people that had been following Jesus. And he challenged them in verse 29 about their incorrect motives for seeking him. Jesus basically said that they wanted him for what he could do for them versus them wanting him for who he was. And we talked that that is a major challenge that we face all the time too. Are we seeking Jesus for what we want out of him or are we seeking Jesus because of who he is? Now, Jesus told them that they should invest their lives into things that bring everlasting life. That's in verse 27, and not the things that are temporary. And then Jesus went where we ended up last week. He said that Jesus told them that the only requirement of God, that's in verse 29, you can look back and see that, that the only requirement of God is that someone believe or have faith in Jesus, the Son of God, the one God sent. And Jesus has been, as we've been walking through John chapter 4 and John chapter 5 and making it to this point in John chapter 6, Jesus has continually made the people aware of who he was. So this morning, we pick up with their response to Jesus. And look at verse 30. Their immediate response to Jesus was, what sign or what work will you do so that we can believe you? Said differently, they said, what are you going to do to prove to us that you are who you say you are? What are you going to do? Now think about this for a moment. They want Jesus to do something to help them believe in him. As if once Jesus does something, they will begin to believe. That's sort of what they're saying, and I doubt it because we've read ahead. Jesus doubts it because of his statements. These people have likely just received the food that Jesus had provided yesterday. Remember, we, not long ago, we talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000, which was really 20,000 because the 5,000 were the men only, and Jesus feeding that. And they had followed him across the Sea of Galilee the next day to get into his presence. They had just seen a miracle of God, yet they do not yet believe. They just want to see Jesus do something else. Proof of their incorrect motive, they want what Jesus can do for them and not Jesus. So look at verse 32, Jesus says, my father gives you the true bread from heaven. They're saying the prophets would, would have said that 
the Messiah, when he comes, will give you bread from heaven like Moses did. And they were giving Moses credit for having done something through God. And, and God, Jesus reminds me, so, well, first, first of all, it wasn't Moses who gave it to you. It was the Father in heaven. But secondly, not only has the Father in heaven taken care of them then, he's given you the true bread now. Jesus goes on in verse 33, it says that the bread is he who comes down from heaven to give life to the world. In verse 35, just so nobody is uncertain, Jesus said, I am that bread. I give life eternally when you come from me. Remember we talked in John chapter 4, we talked about the woman at the well, and Jesus said, if you would but partake of the water that I give, you would never thirst again. And Jesus met her where she was, which was at the well. Her need was water, and Jesus used that as a conversation piece to get her to see that Jesus was that one thing that would quench her eternal thirst and take care of her forever. Now Jesus is talking to people who want to see more bread, and he says, now I'm the bread of life. I think it's so cool that Jesus meets people right where they are. And then verse 36, Jesus gets really plain with them. Jesus said this, look at it again. It says, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Jesus speaks to them as if they have had plenty of things to consider in order to believe in him by this time. I can hear the people respond, even though it is not recorded. They probably said something like this when Jesus said, you've seen me, but you do not believe. I can almost hear the people going, what have you done? What have we seen? We want you to show us a sign so that we can believe in you. I mentioned to you two weeks ago when we were talking about the feeding of the 5,000, that miracle that Jesus recorded in all, or that the Lord has in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I gave you those scriptures two weeks ago so that we could really get a full gospel impact of the feeding of the 5,000. I mentioned to you that in Matthew, it was in chapter 14, verses 13 to 21. I mentioned to you that in Mark, the feeding of the 5,000 was in chapter 6, verses 31 to 44. And I mentioned to you in, uh, that in Luke, it's in Luke chapter 9, verses 10 to 17. And we talked that day, and we brought bits and pieces from each of the four Gospels together to make that story more full and complete. So when I got to this point where the people said, what have you done? Show us something. And Jesus said, I have shown you something, but yet you've not believed. So I did a Bible study this week. And aren't you glad that your pastor does Bible studies? Amen. You're going, wow, Jeff, did you really, I mean, did you have to tell us that you did a Bible study? Listen, don't assume that a pastor does Bible studies. A pastor is a person who has to choose every day to seek the Lord, just like you. And I would like to assume that I was not the only person who did a Bible study this week. I would like to assume that you have each day been in God's Word. But we don't want to go there right now. That's just a, a challenge. But I did a Bible study this week. And let me tell you what I tried to do. The people, I did a Bible study seeking to either prove that the people were right, that Jesus had not done anything to show them who he was, 
or that Jesus was right, that I've shown you lots of things and you've chosen not to believe. And so I went back to these scriptures and I read Matthew. I started in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and I read all the way up to Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. You're going, Jeff, why'd you stop in Matthew chapter 14, verse 13? Because in Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 is when the feeding of the 5,000, that's the scripture in Matthew. So I just said, I just want to see what has Jesus done from the beginning of Matthew all the way through. Now, I realize they didn't have the written book of Matthew at this time because this was happening. But these people, these crowds, they had been around Jesus. They followed him everywhere he was going. They had seen a lot of things. And so I wanted to see what had happened in Matthew. And so I just went through and did a Bible study, and I wrote it down. Let me just give you some uh, highlights here of what I wrote down and versus me putting them on the yellow sheet. I put some of them in my book right here. Jesus began preaching the gospel, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Jesus began, Jesus began teaching them, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus began healing the sick and the diseased, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus healed the demon-possessed man, Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. Jesus healed the paralytic, Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. Jesus taught, the authority, taught with authority. Remember, in, G, in Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, they marveled that Jesus taught with such authority. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus cleansed the leper. Matthew chapter 8, verse 13, Jesus healed the centurion's servant. Matthew chapter 8, verse 15, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Matthew chapter 8, verse 26, Jesus calmed the winds and the waves. Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, Jesus forgave sin. Matthew chapter 9, verse 20, Jesus healed the woman with the issue of blood. He raised the ruler's daughter from the dead, Matthew chapter 9, verse 25. Jesus healed the blind man in Matthew 9, chapter 20, Matthew 9, 27. Jesus healed the man who was mute, Matthew 9, 32. You guys writing all this down, right? <laughs> Jesus gave power to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus healed the man with the withered hand, Matthew chapter 12. Jesus healed the possessed, the mute, and the blind people in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus taught the people with parables in Matthew chapter 13. And Jesus fed the 5,000 in Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 31. And I stopped right there because that was present day with them. And then I did the same thing in Mark. And then I did the same thing in Luke. Writing down all that Jesus had done. And then I looked at those lists for a bit. I just had them spread out on my desk. And I didn't catch them all, but I wrote down 72 different things, some of which would have been duplicate things because Matthew wrote it down and Mark wrote it down or Luke wrote it down and Mark wrote it down or something like that. And I decided after looking at all that information, that the people were right. Jesus had not shown them anything about who he was. And we all know that I am joking, correct? <laughs> Jesus had over and over and over and over and over again showed them who he was. 
Jesus had done nothing but reveal himself to them every day of his ministry. All of this that they have done up until this point, and they still did not believe. So I didn't stop there. I thought, well, perhaps all of these things that Jesus did were just good things. But perhaps they're just things that are happening by coincidence. Perhaps this was all something that could be explained. And so I looked into prophecy. Now, if you recall, a number of weeks ago, I just brought up when we were talking about Jesus how infinitesimal it was as a statistic that one person could fulfill seven prophecies. Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. And we talked about that, and you can go back and catch that in that prior sermon. But I went back and I looked at these prophecies to see what God's Word had said before Jesus was born about what Jesus would be doing, what the Messiah would do. And Church, this is just a skim of prophecy about Jesus because there are so, so, so many of them. In Psalm chapter 40, verse 9, Scripture says, I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord, you yourself know. That prophecy said that the Christ would come preaching the good news, the gospel, in Psalm chapter 40. Let me just give you some scriptures. We're not going to look them all up. I've got them written down here. I'm just going to give you a summary of them. I will say them slow enough that if you want to write down the prophetic verses, you'll be able to do that. But in Psalm chapter 78, verses 1 and 2, Scripture, prophecy taught that the Messiah would teach with parables. All the rest of these Scriptures, I just made them easy for us. They're all in Isaiah. They're all in order of their occurrence in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, that the Messiah would come from Galilee. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, that the Christ would appeal to all people and that crowds would gather around him. Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, that the Messiah would carry all authority. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6, says that the Christ will heal and bring life, that the Messiah would have a miraculous earthly ministry. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 and 4, that there would be a forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist. The Old Testament. Oh, and let me read this one. Isaiah chapter 61. I just want to read this one. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. Just let me read this one. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. It said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That the Christ... The Messiah would bring freedom, judgment, and life. 
the Old Testament that they had, that they had studied, the Old Testament told all of these people who did not yet believe exactly how they could recognize the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. And they were told these things in the Old Testament prophecies before they occurred. Yet these people do not believe. Now, I read something this week that almost validated me and then almost made me mad. I couldn't figure out which way I I settled on it. But they're talking, there's all kinds of surveys and stuff going on about churches in the now coming out of COVID era, about how churches, some are struggling to get back to their pre-COVID attendance and about churches being down and about all these other things like that. And this person said one of the things in this research, they said that one of the things is that what you probably find is that the people that were on the fringe before COVID, they just sort of worked around the edge of the church. They weren't really highly connected to the church, that they're even more fringe now. And that went on to say that pastors who will succeed, they were talking about how pastors are getting worn down a little bit, Uh, that pastors who would succeed they would quit expending all this energy on the fringe in COVID era because those people were on the fringe before COVID and you shouldn't put too much energy toward chasing them down because it's alluding to the fact that you're not going to get them anyway. And at first I'm going, yeah, we got some fringe around here. We've got some people that I, I chase continually and they don't seem to connect in. And sometimes that can lead us to giving up on people. Do you know people like that? You've told them about Jesus. You've told them about Jesus. You're trying to live for them before Jesus. You invite them. You know that they need Jesus, and they play at it, but they don't really commit to it. And every now and then, we just get frustrated, and we go, okay, fine. I guess there's nothing we can do. So we just think about giving up. So Jesus had just said, I have done all of these things, but you do not believe. I didn't capture them all. But that would be very frustrating, I would imagine. Jesus could probably say, what else can I do? And then he does something so loving, so Jesus. He shares the good news with them yet again. They have seen, they have seen, they have seen. They want him to do more. They have yet to believe. And at times in my own spirit, I would have likely just given up on them as well. They are just using Jesus. They want him for what he can do for them, not who he is, but not Jesus. If your scripture's still open, John chapter 6. Let me reread verses 37 to 40. Watch what Jesus says to them. So he had just told them in 36, I've shown you all this, but you don't believe. 37 through 40, it says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do do my own will, 
but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of him who has sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have everlasting life, and I will raise him up on that last day. Let me give you some summary statements that I took from that. Jesus said, the one who comes to me, I will absolutely, positively receive. Whenever they come to me, however they come to me, I will receive them. For that is the will of God, Jesus said, for all to come to me. That is why I was sent here, Jesus just said. And I will save all who believe, and I will lose none who show faith and belief. And I will raise them up in the last day. That God wants all to believe and have everlasting life, and I will raise them up because I am the only way to the Father. So this is where I want to give you sometimes the challenge that happens on this side of the pulpit. You know, we're preaching John 4, John 5, now we're in John 6. And I got to this point in the preparation of the message I was reading and thinking, and I'm going, Lord, it's the gospel again. Sounds horrible to even say it that way, doesn't it? Jesus just shares the gospel with them again. Father, do you want me to preach the gospel to the church again? And see, then the world gets involved and my heart and my head get involved and that's never good things because I'm sitting here struggling. Lord, give me something new. Give me something different. It's time to move on from that into something else. And this is the struggles that we face when we read God's word. But Jesus said it's the gospel again. And facing their lack of belief, he said, give them the gospel again. And so I was struggling with this. I was having this debate. Lord, do you want me to preach the gospel again? Because that's what's here. And then I saw a lemonade stand. And everybody just looked up going, a lemonade stand. Let me paint the picture for you. On Tuesday morning... I had a meeting, and so I was driving away from the church on my way to a meeting. And as I was driving, I looked out my left window, and I saw three boys selling lemonade. I saw their big lemonade jar. I saw the table, and I saw three boys out there selling lemonade. And I drove by, and as much as God speaks to me, he said, you need to stop and get some lemonade. Now, I didn't stop in that moment because I was on my way to the meeting, but I knew I was going to be coming right by there again, and I wasn't going to forget. So I go, and I have my meeting, and I'm coming back from my meeting, and I'm trying to remember a lemonade. Jeff, you need to stop and get lemonade. And I see it, and I pass it. Oh, there it goes. And the Lord said, don't forget to get lemonade. So I turned around my car, and I went back, and I pulled into the closest driveway, which I don't even think belonged to the house that I stopped at. And I got out of my car, and I had a $5 bill in my, car, in my hand and my church card. 
And I walked up and spoke to the now one boy that was outside. It'd been about an hour later, and I said, well, how's the lemonade business going? And he said, well, it's really not going real well right now. I said, well, how much are you selling your lemonade for? And he said, 50 cents. I said, I'll take 10. And I gave him $5, and I said, but you give the lemonade to somebody else. And here's my card. And about this moment, when I laid the card down on the table, boy number two comes running out. Boy number three comes running out. Mama comes walking out. Daddy comes walking out. And we find ourselves in a regular conversation. And I'm telling them about our Easter event coming up. And dad says, you know, we've been talking about getting into a church. And we really are trying to get into a Baptist church. And I'm going, I know one. <laughs> and we talk, and I say, well, you know, we're having this event on the 16th. I would love for you and your family to come. And then I said, but we're having Easter on the 17th. But he said, well, we're, we're really thinking about coming to church. And I said, you know, maybe you should come Sunday. Why wait to the 16th? Come Sunday. Uh, you know, we talk, and, and, um, and I think I made the statement something like this. I said, God is at work right here because how often are you looking for a Baptist church to go to and the Baptist pastor pulls into your driveway, buys 10 glasses of lemonade, gives you a card, and you all come out, and we have this meeting in your front yard. I said, I have to believe that God is telling you that maybe you should be there on Sunday. Dad said, we might be there. And I'm going, no. You need to be there. This is a sign from God that you need to be there. And dad and family, we're all together now. And he says, we'll be there. And uh, I pulled away after having this conversation. Thanking God for lemonade, but thanking God for the reminder Church, that no matter where we go, no matter what we do, if we will listen to the Holy Spirit of God, if we will believe and trust what God wants to do in people's lives, if we will continue to present the gospel and invite people and bring people and, and, and not give up on people and keep doing this, that uh, God will do something. And you're going, Jeff, tell us, are they here? All seven of them are here. It gets better. So Tuesday afternoon, me and some of my Friends are playing disc golf, which we do on occasion. 
Here comes off the pathway of walking a family of seven, the same family I had met that morning, never seen them before. And I said, I think God's trying to tell me and you something. They said, we'll see you Sunday. Gets better. Yesterday morning, I went to the store early. I'm pulling into the Kroger parking lot and I'm getting out of my car and then I see this large family getting out of this car over here and it's them. And I'm going, oh my goodness, three times this week, God has brought us together. They said, we'll see you in the morning. And they're here. Now what we don't want to do is make this about Jeff, okay? And in reality, we don't want to make it about them, even though in Jeff's life, this is a whole lot about Jeff and Jesus. And in their life, it's a whole lot about them and Jesus. But to you, it's a cool story from your pastor, but you can't let it just be that. It's a reminder, church, that you have a calling on your life. You do not get to give up sharing the gospel. You don't get to stop sharing the gospel. If people don't believe, you give them more reason to believe. You live your life before them. You invite them. You show them. You do whatever you can do to help them come to know that God loves them. It is God who will do the work. They're not here because of me. They're here because God had been more. Did you notice in the story that God had been working in their life prior to me showing up? That's a truth of God's word. It's not about me. It's about what God wants to do in me, in them, and in you. And I was just thrilled. Church, until everyone believes, not just sees, not just wants stuff from God, not just plays. Because, see, it's interesting. Two other conversations I had this week with people who reached out to me, and their need was Jesus in a real, real way. And the second of them texted me last night going, I'm not going to make it. So what do I do? Write them off. Invite them again. Right? We know what to do here. But if we're not careful, we can fall into the write them off mode. I've done my part, check the box, move on. When in reality, no. As long as you're on this side of heaven, you have a call to share the gospel, to help people believe. The way we live the choices we make, the people we meet, the words we say, we must orient our lives to look like how Jesus lived. I am um, in an ongoing email Bible study relationship where every day this past week, I would take a verse and I would send it to someone that I met going through cancer treatments at Tennessee Oncology because they wanted it. We've been talking. And I would take a verse, and then I would give them a breakdown of it. I mean, I'm talking about I would write a small book 
talking about and teaching them this verse. And then another one, and then another one, and then another one. And so one of the verses that I did this week for them was 1 John 2, 6, which I love. 1 John, I'm, I'm going to read it to you. I want to make sure that I say this correctly. But 1 John 2, 6, this is a great verse to memorize. But it's an even better verse to allow to impact your life. 1 John 2, 6 says this. But he who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. What that says in make it simple version is somebody who claims to live for Jesus should walk like Jesus walked. Church, if we claim Jesus as our Savior, then we ought. That's a cool word, ought. We don't hear it much anymore, but it's a clear directive, an expectation from God to live like Jesus. And when Jesus faced people who did not yet believe, he didn't get mad. He didn't walk away. He didn't give up on them. He just shared the gospel. He just shared the gospel. And he just shared the gospel. I heard one place before, it's in the back of my mind, this statement. It matters how you live. Amen? I think we've heard that at least once before. Church, it matters how you live. Aren't you glad that Jesus did not give up on you when you did not at first believe, even though he had shown you so, so, so many things? He just showed you his love. All right, let's stand together. Let's pray together. I am thankful that God continues to teach us from His Word, and I'm thankful that He continues to reinforce to us that when in doubt, love. When in doubt, share the gospel. You can't go wrong, church, if we love and share the gospel. Amen? We have lots of opportunities here for you to love and share the gospel. I pray that you'll ask God, what next? You may not see a lemonade stand, but the Holy Spirit will guide you and direct you to what you should do. If you will put yourself in a position to be listening to what the Spirit says. Amen? God's not done. I keep telling you, God wants to do something big and He keeps, he keeps showing us and He's waiting on us.